free drop here, no doubt. Yeah, free drop. Whoa, that thing came out sideways. Drove it into the penalty area. Whoa, yeah. Oh, that was a shank. It's hard to believe watching this. Made an unbelievable bogey in the drop zone. Okay, folks, happy Sunday evening. Dylan DeChair here coming to you from Seattle, and I am on the phone with a Florida man. That is Mr. Sean Zock, who is coming to you from somewhere between Tampa and Jupiter, which um, is an interesting part of America. Sean, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. It's just such a longer trip than I think any of us really give uh, a lot of credit to. Just Florida is still a full four hours pretty much across the state, um, or at least three and a half hours. And so I'm probably halfway, Dylan, uh, which is a good place. Um, but I know it gets really, really kind of rural somewhere in the middle here. And so hopefully our service will not be screwed up. Oh, yeah. That's actually a great point. You got to watch out for, I don't know, gators, feral <laughs> hogs. I feel like I feel like two years ago, we you might have been making this exact trip and we podcast at the same time. So uh, we've done it before. We'll do it again. I definitely used to do that drive a bit. I lived... Let's see, in the winter of 2014-15, I lived in West Florida, Bradenton. And then the next winter, I lived in Wellington, so like West Palm Beach area. So each of those winters, I remember making that trek and just thinking it was a real cultural experience and also like not necessarily a place you want to have your car break down by the side of the road. (laughs) Yeah, well, Um, I'm driving a Tesla and, you know, Teslas only go so far. I hope it, yeah, I don't know. I hope there's a lot of charging stations in, <laughs> no, we should I don't know, <laughs> Lakeland? I don't even know where, what you would be driving near. We got anyway, 74% Sean, battery life left. That seems good. Hopefully your uh, recording device has that same amount so we can tell the people about what's been going on in the golf world. Um, it's Valspar week. You were just in for the weekend doing some reporting on an upcoming magazine story. Is there anything you can tell us from on the ground yeah. From Taylor Moore's victory, from Jordan Spieth's co-bronze medal with Tommy Fleetwood, from Adam Shank's near miss. What do you got? Yeah, I to be honest with you, I thought Tommy Fleetwood would do it today. Uh, I talked to his caddy a lot this week. I'm good pals with his caddy. Talked to Tommy a little bit. They love playing in the wind. And I know that might, that might sound like cliche, but you know the guys that grew up in the Lynx land love playing in the wind. Um, but this is a tough golf course. It is a firm course and it is a windy course today. And, uh, I'm surprised that Tommy didn't quite have like a, a, a winning 67 in him. Um, I think he, I think he maybe finished uh, one under par today, but, uh, probably needed a 67 to get it done. Um, I was definitely rooting for him because gosh, when are we going to start asking if he's ever going to get it done? I think that's the, the thing with Tommy. Um, the uh, the Speeth show is as advertised, absolutely as advertised. You know, shoots the best round of his week was I think on Friday, and of course he still goes out and is grinding on the range afterwards. He's like absolutely confused going through putting sessions uh, before his Saturday round with Michael Greller. He's doing everything that makes it look like he's going to teeter and fall over the edge. And then suddenly he's in the lead with like three holes to play. Um, And then, of course, blows into the water. And then 
of course, sticks it on 17. And it just is like, it's absolutely as much of a roller coaster as it seems, especially at a tournament like this, when he's one of basically two big names, maybe three big names. Like he's the draw. When the sheriff's like security detail was picking names of who they get to follow this week and like keep people from getting close to speed's name goes number one justin thomas number two and there's like no one fighting over who gets to go number three and so like especially at a week like this where everyone is going to be following jordan speed the roller coaster gets louder and louder and louder as it goes yeah i think that's a good way to put it i mean it was speed said he came into sunday looking for basically a boring round he started their day one off the lead and with you know, someone that's never won on tour and Adam Shank holding that lead, you always kind of figure, okay, solid, steady from behind is probably going to get it done. And Spieth actually was that. He was three under through 15, uh, got a, made a nice up and down with a wedge on 14. And it seemed like maybe this was his event to win. But then, yeah, you mentioned it, 16, just one of the worst tee shots I mean, I can think of in 2023 so far, um, just a three wood way right into the water. He said he's been struggling with that tee shot and just, you know, and then 18 needs birdie actually hit it in the rough, which I thought to that back pin could have been something of an advantage because you really do need to keep it on that top shelf. You might want it to release a little bit. Instead, he shorted it, had too much spin on it, It came uh, back to 48 feet ended up three putting, missing a four footer, which uh, just to touch on that briefly was a huge break for Adam Shank because he ended up solo second, which earned him an extra 160 K and extra many 55 more FedEx, Cup FedEx Cup points, 55. He would have split second and third with speed. So that would be 300 and 190. So it would make 245. Instead, he gets the whole 300, moves up to 31st in the FedEx Cup standings. Wow. So I can already see it, Dylan. I can already see the headline on whatever, like September 2nd. That four foot putt that Jordan Speed missed at the Valspar made Adam Shank a top 50 FedEx Cupper and a designated event player. Yeah. I mean, that could be it. This is, man, this is it. This is, you can see it happening. This is the FedEx Cup bandits are riding and (laughs) Adam Shank was this week's bandit. I mean, he is just cashing in on this. uh, And look, he beat some very, very good golfers. Don't get me wrong. You beat Fleetwood and Spieth. We're right there. Um, But yeah, I'm happy for Adam. Happy for his wife who flew down from Indiana this morning. He made some serious putts down the stretch. How about that lefty shot? He made great contact, too good of contact with a lefty shot on the 18th. He told his caddy he couldn't get it to the fairway. He ended up hitting it through the fairway. So, I don't know, just a crazy finish. One of those, It's one of those courses where because the finish is so hard, you just kind of want to get it in the house. This is what happened with Paul Casey a few years ago when uh, Tiger was in the mix and almost winning. He won from like an hour and a half ahead. Taylor Moore wasn't quite that long, but he got to hit his fair share of range balls yeah you know what's one thing i had never done prior to this day dylan uh is i had never been at a tournament where the winner is going to find out that he won like on the driving range on the screen and i realized that uh once i was out basically on the 18th green and i saw that speed's tee shot went uh right and then i saw that shank's ball was absolutely screwed 
And I was just thinking, okay, I wonder where Taylor Moore is right now. And so the driving range is not too far from that spot. Um, so I was like, screw it. I'll just go there. I've got driving range access. I just want to go linger in his area and see how yeah. many people are out there, who's out there. Um, and there weren't that many people out there, but there uh, were a couple family members. Um, and uh, yeah, it was a really, really cool scene. And gosh, I had no help or no choice but to get nervous because he's basically getting, you know, he's working his way just through very nervous range shots, even hits like a, a he hits like one really kind of bad driver. And I was like, oh, God, <laughs> I wonder what this guy's thinking right now. You know, he doesn't even need to really be out here. He might not need to head any of these shots. Um, yeah. But he's getting updates from basically like a PGA Tour head of security. Um, and what's tricky is that there suddenly there are kind of fans like starting to kind of come around there. The spectators are starting to show up and get closer and closer and kind of inch in towards him. Uh, and they're watching the broadcast on their phones, like YouTube TV or, or Hulu or whatever. And there's a delay there. And so, um, the, suddenly the radio, which is the most accurate form of information is like really, really important because fans are reacting like, oh no, that's a 10 footer that Speed's got. It was like a 30 footer. All these little kind of like chirpy <laughs> things are getting thrown yeah. into the air in proximity to Taylor Moore. And so suddenly he like, just like, okay, we're not hitting any more uh, full swings. We're going to the putting green. And then you can get, people are even getting like, the putting green is not even a great place because people are surrounding it and the same things are happening. But his family, um, there's a couple family members there that were just crying watching him hit uh, full swing shots on the range. They're just like, there are tears going down their face. And this is while Spieth was like teeing off. It just shows how how much golf is this like, like at that level. It's not a single player person thing. It's this, this group want and yearn and need. And so then like maybe four, five, six more family members show up. Of course, like, by proximity, when your family members are crying, everyone else starts crying. He he hasn't even won the tournament yet, and uh, eventually, like he st he stayed very calm and collected, and he's getting these like little radioed uh, bits of information. And the the funny thing is, is like even before the radio would be able to get us the information, like the roar would have told us everything. And since there was no roar, um, he basically eventually learned like yeah they didn't make any of those putts this thing's done i'm a pga tour champion he freaks out everyone's crying they start shouting see you at augusta see you at augusta uh because he, that he, that's what he won today he won his his chance to go to augusta national for the masters so it was a pretty cool scene there uh, right around taylor moore when he found out i mean definitely one of the more bizarre ways to find out it calls to mind like JT being on the range for the PGA Championship last year. And we saw some of that in the Netflix show of, you know, him getting updates from Colt Nost and yeah. obviously just the the wheels falling off for Mito coming down 18. So that was really bizarre. But I can only imagine like, okay, well, Speeth has to make birdie. Also, the dude you're tied with is hitting lefty from next to a tree on the <laughs> yeah. left side of the fairway is like a pretty bizarre way to get updates. Um, so that's pretty funny. Yeah. I would have loved for one of the updates to be like, oh crap. <laughs> like, oh, oh, he hit a really good one. Or like if yeah, speed yeah. hit it to 10 feet and it, or whatever, if it stayed on that top ledge, you know, the dissemination of, of information would have been 
just a little bit different because he didn't really ever hear any dicey info. It was all kind of good info and more good info and more good info. You're all good. He's got 30 feet. It's an impossible putt. Um, but if, if he was really standing over like an eight footer, that would have been the nerve wracking moment. Um, all right, let's just breeze through a couple other names on this leaderboard because I thought that it was interesting. You mentioned Tommy Fleetwood, obviously still not a winner on the PGA tour, but God, he's playing well. That's encouraging. Wyndham Clark had a really good week, finished fifth. Um, wanted to shout out though, Cody Gribble, because this dude has been through it. Um, yeah. Got injured. I mean, turned pro way back when this is Jordan Speed's college teammate, uh, but older than Speed. Turn pro, finally got his tour card, won right away. I think in 2016, won the Sanderson Farms. Yeah, I interviewed him the day after he won. Whoa. For this the golf.com di- podcast. Like, it's on this feed like five years ago. Oh, my God. All right. We might have to dig up Go some check of that, that audio. Out. I mean, life, I'm sure, seemed pretty easy at that point. Now, since then, there's been injuries. There's been injuries on top of injuries. There's been trips back to Q school. He is. He was playing this week only because he top 10 at the Puerto Rico Open in his last start, and he only got in the Puerto Rico Open on his past champion status. And uh, so now, this week, he finished T7 again. Back-to-back T7s. I looked on his world ranking page. This T7 was the fourth best result of his career. So not only is my man on the way back, he's like showing some real promise and extra shout out to him because he must've been pretty nervous starting off today. He was five over through six holes and then uh, made four birdies in his next eight or nine holes. So kind of pulled it together, finished T seven. That's going to be good news for the reshuffle. Good news for his points, all that. So shout out to how about, how about your boy, Webb Simpson? You've been kind of riding yes. uh, the web wave recently. I've been riding the web wave, another T7, an interesting group at T7. Um, Webb Simpson has not finished in the top 10 since 2021, and now that is no longer the case. Now he has finished in the top 10. He did not really make a charge on Sunday, shot two over, but this feels like a massive step in the right direction. And then also at T7, Matt Wallace, who has a tendency to get a little hot under the collar with his caddies. (laughs) on the course and yeah that happened this weekend he and his caddy played it off all good later on so hopefully nothing to see yeah there, you know but, what's funny um, about that is that like he very much said at one point in the whatever the 18th fairway like shut the f- up like that was yeah for sure said um if you have any ability to lip read um but then you know they make the short walk to like the media area and to sign their scorecard and they were all good. They were, you know, cheery and like laughing, um, yeah. which is exactly the time at which, you know, any questions about that would rise. Um, and then I was asked uh, on the range today by, by another caddy, hey, man, did you see that? Like, what was the deal there? And so, like, <laughs> I don't think we're ever going to know. Uh, I don't I don't think that they want to talk about it. Um, they quickly moved past it. Well, Wallace like went live on Instagram today to just be like, Hey, here's my caddy. He really like went in on his caddy in his like bedroom was like, Hey, everyone's (laughs) saying I berated you yesterday. Like basically like we're all good. Right. So it's kind of, I mean, it's not really, 
it's probably up to his caddy to say for sure. Wallace yeah. kind of seemed to be like taking control there and just saying like, yeah, we're all good. Well, and, and they were the last, uh, the last player caddy people that I saw when I left Innisbrook today, they were, uh, they were standing outside one of their rental cars having a chat. So maybe they're, <laughs> maybe it was a good chat. Maybe it's a bad chat. I think it's kind of like, it's just kind of left hovering in the air until it happens again. A couple other guys worth noting, Sam Burns looking for his three-peat, played one of the rounds of the day today, shot four under, finished sixth. Um, and then Justin Thomas had a nice little rally, T10. Good to see him playing well. Zach Blair, really from nowhere, finished T10, uh, which I imagine gets him an extra start. So maybe he doesn't have to use another start on his major medical, but I'm always mm. a little hesitant saying things with certainty about yeah, Major well, like, what it, where is that start? Does that start like it would be next the week at the Dominican? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even know if he needed that. Uh, yeah, like maybe that's an event that, that he is in. just getting into anyway. It's kind of a it's kind of a week where yeah we're coming off the high of back to back designated events. Like this is sort of what the what the regular PGA Tour events are going to look like. I think for the foreseeable future. And I think that that's yeah. an encouraging thing in the sense that, yeah, we still have Jordan Spieth and Tommy Fleetwood in the mix along with, yeah, I guess Webb Simpson and Justin Thomas wasn't too far off the pace. I guess this is like a good vision for, yeah, it's just a positive vision for these events. Like you have drama down the stretch, you have a tight leaderboard, you have compelling stories, you have first time winners, all this good stuff. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you feel like this model we're going to see and feel good about it or question it or what? So I, I think this is kind of fun for our jobs because we are learning about the process of the future as it comes. And, uh, the perfect event is the vault stuff, the vault bar because it will not get elevated, um, designated, however you want to coin the term, uh, at least in the near term, I talked to one of the people that runs this tournament and they're like, no, we don't quite see the value as much for Valspar to put up the money for a $20 million purse. And so this will be a designated event that follows two designated events um, in the future. And like, where does that leave it? Um, is there like, are there, is there really going to be this hot pursuit for those final five spots in the designated events that a Valspar can help push you into. Um, I I think from the people I've talked to, I was talking to Aaron Fleener, um, JT Poston's caddy. I was talking to Nick Taylor and Joel Damon and a lot of these guys. And I mean, people are going to be really playing a lot of golf. <laughs> like I think I think you and I predicted that the 3M Open and the Wyndham, like the post-British Open FedEx Cup events, the the Detroit Rocket Mortgage Classic, they're going to have a ton of people. Like those are going to be very, very important tournaments to the future lives of various golfers. And um, that's just what I think of when I go to this event is like guys like Schenk who are grabbing 55 FedEx Cup points. Um, that they didn't necessarily completely earn on their own. Um, it was, you know, due to the whims of Jordan Spieth's putting stroke, the bandits, as you keep calling them, like 
that's what every single one of these events is going to end up being. Uh, I talked to Nick Taylor today and you know, he won $2.1 million for finishing second place at, uh, Phoenix. And I was like, gosh, that must be worth a lot of FedEx cup points, but it wasn't remember like we're working with this flat system in which all the FedEx cup points are pretty much equal. And so his second place finish solo second beats John Rahm was worth a ton of money, but he does not have top 50 locked up for next year, even though he played fantastic golf and just happened to lose to the number one player in the world. Um, guys are really, really thinking about their schedules in a God, I got to keep playing sort of way. And I don't think that makes them comfortable. I don't think they like being told what they have to do. Um, I don't think they like being 70th in the world and feeling uncomfortable. Uh, you know, uh, Shank himself has a, his wife is, is very pregnant due to have a baby in the next couple months. And so schedule in May for him is going to be really variable but he's played 10 weeks in a row now because he's like, crap, I got to get as many FedEx Cup points as I can. That is a, a thought process that we have not had to care about before, but it might be the actual most important thought process for a lot of guys right now. I think it's a great point and something that we haven't necessarily talked that much about because, look, the talk has been, oh, guys want to play less. Maybe the designated events will allow them to do that. Maybe guys going to live, they're going to play a little bit less. And in this case, guys that are on the bubble of making the playoffs, of making that top 50, they are suddenly going to have to look at these events and say, all right, should I just stay at home and try to rest up for the next one and hope that I come out fresher and get more points? Or am I going to go play the week after the open and try to rack up some extras? So yeah, I think you're going to see guys around that bubble or guys that are hoping for a big week just like take on some extra playing opportunities. It's going to get really exciting, but yeah, for those guys that were hoping to play a little bit less, I don't think that's going to happen. I think, I think this has made me sympathize with the middle tier player a lot more than I ever anticipated. Um, I know you and I have talked on this podcast just about this is being a, this, the, the schedule changes being good for the PGA tour. It is a positive step forward. Um, it's created a food chain that maybe they needed to battle off live golf, but man, I just, I'm seeing these guys kind of squirm and you know, like Joel Damon on Tuesday of this week committed to playing the Dominican Republic event, uh, next week. And he wasn't necessarily planning on it. And his caddy Gino, we've had him on the show. We love Gino. Uh, it was his birthday today. I don't know if he listens to our show, but happy birthday, Gino. There, you know, I think he was planning on and hoping to kind of go home and see his kids, but now he's not. So it's uh, projected 48th in the standings right now. I know because 48th he, in the FedEx because Cup. He so he's going to be killed on it. that bubble for a while. He killed it in the fall. They killed it in the fall. And uh, sometimes fall doesn't. Uh, I don't know. It's just kind of, it's a huge asset for them right now, but they're Joel's looking like he's going to play a lot of golf this summer and he's a new father and it just stresses people out, man. Um, and I get stressed out as a result of that. I guess, well, yeah. I mean, one of the questions going forward here is like, who are we, you know, who do we care about? Do we care about those people? Like can the PGA tour care about the 
needs of the bubble guys versus just its stars. And I think that, I don't know, that's a question that we will kind of keep answering. I think as, we have to care about them. Well, we should care about them. That's kind of our job, but. No, I know. But I, I just also think that like, that's why this thing is so dicey. Taylor Moore <laughs> is a, he's not a world beater, at least not yet. Like Adam Shank is not a world beater, at least not yet. At some point, they are not going to be in an event in which they can prove that they could be a world beater. And uh, I, again, I'm not like backtracking on the things we've said in the past. I just I think I'm a little bit more sympathetic to the uh, uncertainties that they face now um, than they never have before. So like you can't you can't just explain it away with play better Um and you never have ever been able to only explain it away with play better. So hopefully if we take anything away from this listeners, like you can use play better as an, as a reason, but you just have to understand uh, that it's not as simple of a, of a term as it may seem. Yeah. I think it's more complex. I think it still is true. I think it's, you know, especially the way the points are distributed, it's super top heavy, you know, finishing in the top three gets you a ton more points than, um, then, you know, as it kind of gradually gets further down. Um, but yeah, we're going to see a really interesting balance between the FedEx cut points for these designated events and the FedEx cut points for the regular events. I think you can probably make an argument that there will be a disproportionate number of points available in the non-designated events. And that will contribute to that churn, that turnover, and how that affects the schedules of the guys that are actually already in the designated events, but at the edge of the top 50 for the following year, like that's just going to be a really interesting dynamic to see. There's just going to be more, more desperation involved, I guess. Yeah. It's going to be a little more frantic, a little bit more at stake. And I think that's a good thing. I think higher stakes are great. I think understanding the the consequences and the factors involved is awesome for a fan, but for a guy that may suddenly be playing like this Adam Shank schedule, just looking to rack up points, <laughs> it's not like an average points thing. It's just a total cumulative points. So I don't know, man. It's like it's like if your job was, uh, say your job was picking apples. You could always go pick more apples, but you could also go rest up at some point yeah. and you could say, look, I'm not going to be very good at picking apples. It's probably worth it for me to go sleep a little while and then I'll go pick some more. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's comparison. an exhausting job. Yeah. The sun is beating me down for the seventh straight day. And I've, I've filled the house with, uh, granny Clark and, uh, Macintosh apples, but there's never enough honey crisp. um i think you just know that someone else is out there gathering apples so i think that that's the there are so many apple gatherers uh i think that's that's a nice little analogy dylan we don't always nail every analogy on on this uh podcast but that one seems to work for me let's let's touch on two more things before we let people go sean one is uh, the live event that happened this weekend, Danny Lee won in a playoff. Hey, I had no idea who won when you just told me that. That's uh, good for Danny Lee, right? There's a early, early, early returns. Early returns, yes, one for two, I believe, and starts on live. Uh, the Fireballs GC 
were the victors. Um, bigger picture, though, I was interested in Phil Mickelson's remarks speaking to the media earlier in the week. I just wrote a little thing on this on Friday, but he seems to be changing his public approach a little bit. And I think that's representative of Liv as a whole. Like Liv, Greg Norman, Phil Mickelson, the figureheads of Liv, they seem to be backing off of the idea that they're a direct competitor to the PGA Tour. They seem to be backing away from the fact that they are like going head to head, even though they literally are. I mean, it was in the exact same time slot as the Valspar today. Um, but Phil was using a lot of words about oh he how grateful he was that live players are allowed at the Masters, um, how impressed he is with the PGA Tour changes, even though you know that in his head and even based on stuff he's said in the past, he must be kind of seething at the fact that you know <laughs> as he said last fall, oh it's so great that the PGA Tour magically found a couple hundred million dollars. Now he seems to very publicly be practicing gratitude. He seems to be basically trying to make peace. Uh, and one one other interesting thing he said was, look, there will always be an appetite for traditional golf, basically. Like there will always be an appetite for the PGA Tour. This is a chance for people to see the best players in the world more often. So he kind of even acknowledged that the best players are still on the PGA Tour. So <laughs> It was just interesting, and I'm not sure it was a true look at exactly how Phil is feeling, but the fact that it's what he is saying, I thought was uh, was still revealing in some ways. I think Homie is playing the long game. Uh, I think he, in the past year, has realized that he made a bed. It is his bed, uh, and he made it in a certain way, and that can mean a lot of things. He made his bed by talking to Alan Shipnuck. He made his bed by taking money from Liv and moving in this direction. And he made his money. He made his bed by um, every single word that he said in the last year, which I think a lot of it has been super careful. Um, but at times, it's also been a bit antagonistic on Twitter. And now he seems that I think he's just like, okay, I have to live in this bed now <laughs> and let's try to make it as comfortable as we can of a bed to sleep in. And, um, you know, he wants everything at this point to kind of be about his team. Um, you know, when, when the live guys were on that daily cover of sports illustrated, it was not opposed, um, shot of Ian Poulter and, and Henrik Stenson, um, you know, with their arms crossed, like Sports Illustrated will do with a lot of teams on the cover of their magazine. It was like these guys in action doing team stuff. I think that is that is the live motto now. It's all about the teams. Our golf is different golf. It's team golf. Um, when you pull up the leaderboard on livegolf.com, the team leaderboard comes up first. You have to click uh, to toggle the individual player leaderboard, even though there's more money attached to the individual title than there is the team title. Um, yeah, it seems like a slight pivot. Um, there's still litigation going on. <laughs> These lawyers are not necessarily uh, getting along in any fashion. Uh, that's gotten a bit drawn out in like kind of weird uh, ways. But when it comes to Phil, I think he kind of realizes like, no, I can't be chirping the PGA Tour moving forward. All it does is 
gives questions and press conferences to Rory McIlroy and to Justin Thomas and to other people who can dunk on Phil, right? Like there are facts that Phil cannot fly above. The fact that like he's playing in a 54 hole tournament and uh, the fact that they don't have world ranking points. Like there are things that they, that he can't talk his way out of um, that players on the PGA tour can kind of honestly mock live golf for. So like better to stay away from it than to lean into that kind of antagonistic style. Um, that said, sometimes it only takes like one thing. <laughs> like it takes like one quote from one player on Monday afternoon of the Masters that maybe changes the tune, changes how Phil feels. Uh, I don't, I don't get the sense that he can be kind uh, with his inner thoughts forever. Um, so I don't know. I think you're seeing it right now. But I do think that that could change, um, and maybe it changes at Augusta. I don't know. All right, yeah. So three three quick things from that. One, the team point. I think that's crucial because, to your point, the money that the team that the that the team makes is basically just going back into the team. Like from an individual perspective, the way the team finishes is kind of unimportant, <laughs> and it, that feels like a disconnect between what the league wants to push and the franchise model. And that's kind of the key to the whole thing versus what the money is actually saying, which is basically, look, if you individually finish high, you're going to get paid. If you don't, I mean, you're still going to get paid, but, but not nearly as much. Um, so that's definitely a point of emphasis for them. And a lot of the players have been highlighting that. Um, and then let's see, Phil also did say, look, we could, we could talk about getting 72 holes he used the word fluidity several times, <laughs> uh, talking about the league's ability to adjust on the fly. Um, then get and, 72 holes, dog. Like, that is a huge sticking point in one of your core issues, not having world ranking points. 72 holes. So, like, if you're so fluid, prove it. But the league is literally called 54, so I think that that <laughs> would be a somewhat sure. radical departure. Um and then there was one other thing that felt really important when it popped oh, into my no. head, but it's currently escaping me. So Blame that on I don't me. know. I'm... Bryson DeChambeau, something's up with that guy. Finished 44th. Has hey. no finish better than 10th since joining Liv. Remember when I uh, when we did the uh, Bull Predictions podcast early January? We're kind of like figuring out what we want to predict for the, for the coming year. Remember what mine was? What was yours? That Bryson DeChambeau would uh, win the Masters. So how's that looking? Not great. Uh, he has a spot in the field that hasn't changed. He's not playing good golf. He's leaning into content. The crushers might be the most fun team to follow on social media. Uh, I guess they won the first event this year, but he's not playing good golf. And uh, that's, it's still surprising because holy cow, two and a half years ago, he was maybe the best player on the planet uh, or certainly was playing like it. Um, and this is a far departure from that. So I don't trust, like, I don't trust, this is going to sound very mean, but I think it is fair and accurate. I don't trust Bryson's maturity level to handle all the angst that comes with live. And then also not playing good golf at the same time. His golf has always recovered for him. His golf uh, when he was dealing with the media, uh, remember before the Ryder Cup in 2021, and uh, he was avoiding the media, 
his golf always pulled him out of it. He was still playing good golf. He, he earned his way onto the Ryder Cup team because he was playing good golf. And then he drove the first green at Whistling Straits. Like his golf has always pulled him out of any internal kind of angst. And I don't see that happening right now. And uh, makes me feel weird. Makes me feel bad. Let's touch on one of Bryson's favorite subjects then, Sean, to kind of close things out here. <laughs> the golf ball. You were out this week or you were, you know, busy. You've been taking some time. You've been working on some magazine pieces. You're trying to write your book here. Like, do you need a fill-in? Are you aware of the golf ball stuff that happened? I mean, it was pretty hard to miss. Yeah, it was It was honestly, Dylan, it was great to be on vacation or half vacation this week because I saw some pretty brutal discussion, discourse about the USGA's proposed uh, model local rule um, around the golf ball. I know you reported about it with Wall for golf.com, um, which is great. Now, I think my questions, why don't I stumble through this and then maybe you correct me. The way I understand it is that the USGA and RNA have said, basically, you know, by 2026, we would like to have a discussion period between now and then about um, how far the golf ball goes under the parameters that we want to set up. And the parameters that they want to set up are like kind of in theory, like in a vacuum, like it's like a certain swing speed with a certain launch uh, angle and, and a certain um, like ball speed or whatever. Like that's the part that I think people are not going to understand. If you're just going to look at this and say, Oh, they've created a new golf ball or they want to new golf balls made for pros people just think that it's a certain percentage that's getting that's just been like plucked out of the air can you kind of like explain like what the actual numbers are and maybe how they make sense i'll give you that i don't have the spin rate numbers in front of me or the launch angle i think that that has been tweaked slightly also but basically the way the usga tests golf balls is they say okay we don't want we don't want the ball to fly further than 317 yards. So that's the number they've picked, plus or minus three yards. And so for a while now, the way they've tested that 317 yard number is with a robot that swings 120 miles per hour. And I think when that was first introduced, 120 miles per hour was really on the high end of where guys on tour were swinging it. Now it's still on the high end. It's definitely well above average. Uh, but they, what they're doing is they're juicing that number to 127 miles per hour. So now if the ball can still only fly 317 yards with this test and you're increasing speed, you know, I'm not like a, not a huge math guy, but I think where that leaves your equation is that something's got to give. And as a result, the ball cannot be as good and as efficient at flying. So yeah, it's going to be softer. It's going to be, uh, you know, effectively less bouncy off the club. Uh, I'm sure gear guys will love that explanation, but yeah, <laughs> I wrote like a little dummies guide to this thing on, uh, on golf.com that you can track down if you want a little bit more information, but some guys are a little bit skeptical because they're saying, look, nobody on tour right now swings at 127 miles per hour. But I guess that's the point. The USGA wants the ball to fly a little bit shorter uh, for long guys, it's going to end up being somewhere in that five or 6%. But again, like all these things, when you make changes, there are ripple effects 
and uh, it's going to take a little while before we really see those bear out. Yeah, uh, it was fun to arrive at a tour stop in the wake of that. Um, you know, Justin Thomas kind of went off in the in his press conference, a um, little mini rant. He even called it a rant um, about this. And man, it felt like a moment where he was speaking for a lot of people, a lot of tour people. And it, you know, I don't uh, agree with JT, but that's that's neither here nor there right now. It was funny to talk to Joel Damon, who like Joel doesn't hit it very far, <laughs> um, and his his viewpoint was basically that seventy five percent of the membership, or at least you know the guys that kind of he felt he was talking to, are not happy about this. He he, mm. he circled that number. He said. 75% of guys are going to be upset because this is changing things. And then Gino popped in with like the most truth. Where he's just like, wouldn't you expect them to be upset? Like they're on the PJ tour. They've gotten here by one set of rules and they want to stay here and they think they can stay here in the easiest point of uh, least resistance fashion by keeping these rules. <laughs> like life is about staying on the PJ tour. What we just discussed about the FedEx cup. Um, and so they're mostly freaking out to the newness the the idea of change totally and and the irony is that like they might not be on the pga tour when this is put into a, uh, effect uh the pga tour might not accept it uh as a model local rule there's a lot that that remains to be seen about this but the newness and the novelty of the announcement is freaking people out more than anything and then joel said the other 25 percent don't care <laughs> um, because the rules get changed all the time uh we used to drop the ball from shoulder height we now drop it from knee height and that rule was put into place like not that long ago. Um, we change rules a lot of the time and the PGA tour just changed the rules about the FedEx cup. And so staying at the top of pro golf is on some level, certainly about uh, attuning yourself to newness and rule changes. And so maybe a quarter of the tour he sees doesn't give a damn. And then three quarters are like, dude, what the hell is going on here? Um, and then you you know within that you have a group of people, I think that are making a bunch of shitty analogies. Like this is, we've said it a lot of times on here. Worse than the apple picking one. Yeah, much worse. But like, we're as far as we've ever gotten in terms of making making bad cross sport analogies between golf and other pro sports. And now we've done a lot of that this past year because of Live Golf, uh, you know, injecting team golf into the ecosystem but gosh like it has never made less sense to compare golf to other sports it's such a natural thing to do because like oh gosh like they changed the footballs uh from level to level and all that stuff but there's some very sloppy analogies going around and so do you have like do you have any good cross sport analogies that i can that can actually help us recover from the bad discourse of like what we've been talking about with stadiums and, and everything thus far this week uh, no, no, nothing cross sport. I think that, I don't know. I mean, maybe there's an analogy of like, I think that a lot of this is fatigue. I think it's, I think the guys on the PGA tour are like, oh my God, you know, didn't <laughs> what we just do, a whole, didn't we just do the change thing? Didn't we just fend off the existential threat? I think there's some sort of game of Thrones thing there where, you know, there's like the, the battle for the battle for dominance between like the actual living human beings and then it's like oh jesus we got these white walkers coming in from the north <laughs> wait wait um, who, who is the usga in that sense 
uh, well, the the steady increase of uh, of golf ball distance is kind of like the White Walkers in that case. Like just inevitable, getting worse, eventually coming for you. Who's who's Phil? Oh man, who is Phil? God, I got to rewatch the show to like get my name straight between the Targaryens and the Baratheons and the Snows, but. Um, I don't I mean, watch I guess, the show, so I can't help you. Yeah, I don't know. It seems that Rory's got to be Jon Snow probably at some point, but beyond that, I'd have to think a little bit harder about it. Uh, the other analogy that I, I used in this dummies guide is like, I do have the fear that, okay, if this really is a huge problem, like, is this change actually enough? Because 5% is not going to radically change things. Like, by the time we get to 2026, are we just going to be actually that 5% is going to get us back to where we are today in 2023? So like, it's possible that if, if distance is golf's version of climate change, then this response could be the plastic straw ban, which is like <laughs> not a drastic enough difference to make, you know, to change the game, but still drastic enough to annoy people and kind of confuse people and upset them in the process. So oh. not cross sport, but that's what I've got for you. Sounds like you're, you're just speaking out from like, uh, you know, left leaning Seattle. You don't get enough plastic straws over there. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> I'm, I'm anti-plastic just overall, as you know, you know, longtime friends of the brand Radmore try not to wear any plastic either, but, but the, the straw thing just doesn't seem to be like saving the world, I guess would be my, my only feeling maybe on saving the turtles though uh so the thing that i've been thinking about this weekend like i am for sure biased but i think a lot of people in media see it this way um a lot of podcasters see it this way but at some point the golf ball is battling saint andrews and pebble beach it it, it just it 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 is the instrument by which we are are making these places change. And uh, I just, I think it's too simple to say that the stadiums that we use should change to the ever-evolving golfer. I think we've seen them already. Well, or too complex. Like, that is just a hard thing to do. Yeah, sure, yeah. Um, I just... You know, John Rahm, uh, I think kind of famously to foreplay was basically just like golfers have always been getting better. We're getting faster. We're getting stronger. And um, that that really takes out a lot of the equipment analysis of it. And if you want to choose like the status quo golf ball wise and I don't know, move forward in that world, just know that like it's not done. Um, the status quo that we have right now, which is Cam Smith shooting 20 under at the open, um, shooting 64 to win the open and making it look um, maybe far too simple. Michael Bamberger called the back nine a, a pitch and putt um, for Cam Smith. And like, look, yeah, at some point it kind of is like, do we want to hold on to St. Andrews? Do we um, in the way that we currently have it and have had it? Or are we really just going to be comfortable with the future where guys are driving the seventh green and it's like half the field does it rather than like 10% of the field um, where these long par fours that we think it's kind of cool to have Eagles on 
you know what? It really just makes sense when it's playing to a par of a three and a half to call it a par three or something like that. Um, I don't know. I don't want to like say anything is above um, being changed. Maybe like at some level, St. Andrews can undergo more, more change too. Um, the ball just feels like the most integral piece that can be manipulated and the only bodies that really get, um, well, yeah, it, 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 it has room to go backward. And I think that that, or more fo- frozen in place. And I think it's okay to be more frozen in place than to allow things to kind of move on forever. Yeah. I mean, it's the simplest thing to change. I think that's what it comes but down to. But you know what titles because... will tell you? Titles will tell you it's not simple. Well, it's not simple for Titleist, and I have great sympathy for them. I think anyone that tells you this is overall like a, a problem with a simple solution is probably being disingenuous. I actually think that's why it's been somewhat of an interesting debate, although every like if you spend too much time on the internet, every debate just gets horrendous. But I think that something basically just has to give. So either you are giving up the idea that you know, guys should have 200 yards into par fours and should be hitting long irons into par fours. You're giving up that idea and you're instead saying, okay, I want to see who can, who can harness 200 mile per hour ball speed most effectively, which is a really hard thing to do. Not that many people have had much success doing it yet, honestly. So like there's one version of the world where, where that's the case. Um, you can try to keep lengthening the golf courses. That's hard. That's expensive. That's not possible for a lot of courses. Uh, I think that they looked at changing, you know, the equipment, changing the drivers, but I think the ball has more of an impact. Like if you hit a modern ball with old technology, it still goes really far. Um, so that's kind of where they looked. And I, I think the one thing that dismays me is that they settled on this bifurcation because it seems like they have now complicated a system that was relatively simple, which is this idea that, yes, we are all playing by the same rules. And if you're suddenly playing by very different golf ball rules, there's a lot of gray area where, where I don't, I don't like that. Sure. Yeah. The, it definitely adds a, where did you get that golf ball? Wait, how hot is that golf ball? Wait, how, how, uh, how soft is that golf ball? How spinny is that, is that ball that Taylor made made for you? Um, We've never had those conversations, right? Like we know the the Pro V1 X spins more on average than the Pro V1, but we both know that they spin a f- on both of them. Um, and you can play either one and yeah. they're both legal. I sure. think where I'm concerned is like, look, we've always had handicaps as ways to kind of even out skill level, but there's something a little bit weird to the idea that you could be stepping on the first tee. I mean, let's use you as an example. Say... You are now going to play with Joel Damon and he's using a new ball and you're using an old ball and you're now hitting it past a professional golfer. Like that's just kind of weird to me. And then are you, are you negotiating strokes differently on the first tee because you're playing different equipment? At what point is someone going to play the new ball versus the old ball? I would say the most, the best case scenario in my mind is that it's, it's sort of a trickle down effect. And they were saying, look, it's too radical. We don't want to force anything on the amateurs, but every serious player will ultimately adopt like this tour model, whatever the equipment companies are making, because that's kind of what golf is. People like to play by that set of rules. Uh, people like to test themselves. It's like why people play the tips, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that is like the most optimistic version in my mind, but this world where this world where we're really playing a bifurcated 
thing. I I don't like that. What what ball are you gonna play? Uh, plus two point seven handicap, Dylan DeChair. Jeez, Joe dwindling. I think we're at, it's like plus one point nine right now or something. Um, I don't know. See, I'm still like a delusional sicko. I'll I'll play the new ball for sure. But in 2026, <laughs> that could be a different answer, dude. You need to hit the ball as far as you can. That's the thing. Like, I can't afford to lose any more distance, but I can if everyone is. Yeah. It's just I sure don't if you're suddenly blowing it like 30 past me. Yeah, exactly. Um, damn. Didn't really even think about your your constraints here. You're at a, the worst. You are truly at the worst point in your life where this can be happening to you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that that is part of it, right, is they're aware golfers have egos and uh, nobody wants to hit it shorter, so... I don't know. You got to go speed train, I guess. Yeah. I, I keep thinking about the weirdness this will happen over the next couple of years. There's going to be a lot of opinions over the next couple of years. This is like what the USJ tends to do. They'll, they'll announce some intended rules changes, and then there's kind of like a wait and learn period, a, a, a discussion period. And they got a lot of opinions in the last five or six days, some of them from very important people. Um, and so I would say, unlike the PGA Tour changes of its schedule in the FedEx Cup, which seem extremely locked in place, as I understand them, um, these could be malleable, um, to use uh, a bit of a pun there, because golf balls uh, are malleable and uh, the new ones might might be more malleable. I don't know. Um, but I think I think this is not like dead set and done in so many ways as it may be seems do you agree yeah i just don't have a full understanding but i think that's going to be one of the interesting pieces is okay how are they going to handle feedback how are they going to treat this period where will they end up and then will the tour ultimately say look we are we're going to do this because you're the usga you tell us what the rules are that's the only way that that's the only way this whole system works or are, is the PJ tour going to say, you know, screw you guys. We're good. We're not listening to this local rule. And then everything gets thrown into chaos at that point. So we're still a few years away from this getting incorporated, but we are closer to, I guess just a power struggle. And I don't know how that would look, but probably not good for really anyone. Well, as your, uh, I think I'm still your caddy, maybe. As your caddy in representation on the matter, I think you should not use the new uh, any new golf ball until the PGA Tour makes its own decision uh, because we're still holding out hope that you might play there someday. All right, I appreciate that. I think that's a good word. I think that's a good spot to leave it. Um, Sean, travel safe over there. Yeah, Enjoy we, the Sunshine State. We got 51% battery life left. We're absolutely cruising. Uh, and uh, we'll be there in, in an hour, so we're good. Happy trails, drop zone listeners, uh, people, the zonies. Thanks for listening. We love you guys. We'll see you in a few days. 